0: Ray stood up, aimed his face exactly at where I was, <laughs> and yelled, third trombone to goddamn <laughs> loud! <laughs> Welcome to
1: the Gig Boss Podcast, a show about music industry and artistry. I'm Adam Eckler, and it's my mission to get you the tools to have a thriving career in music. And today we've got Mike Christensen on the show. Hailing from the bustling metropolis of Fargo, North Dakota, Mike found his way into Ray Charles' band, and he stayed there for two years before moving to New York City, playing on Broadway, and playing with some of my most favorite musicians in the world, including Maria Schneider, John Hollenbeck, and Fred Hirsch. Mike is an awesome storyteller, and he has some great stories about his time with Ray and his time in New York City. Mike and I both now work at Michigan Technological University, so this is one of those rare episodes where I get to be in the same room as the artist that I'm talking to. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see us in my office. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Mike Christensen. Thanks for hanging with me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Cool. Hey, uh, so the first time I was, I guess... Encountered the Christensen family, the lore of like the brass players in the Christensen family was Ryan, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who's your nephew, is that right? You Uncle Mike to he's, him? Or he's how is my that? My
0: cousin's son. Oh, cousin's son. Okay. So I don't know what, they, what you call that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so he told him, I, th- I think it was him that said, like, oh, yeah, my family came over on the boat as a brass band, you know? <laughs>
0: So Maybe like, I don't so, know. So what's your <laughs> like? Tell me a
1: little bit about your your history, like coming from North Dakota and yeah. having lots of brass players in your
0: family. Yeah, my it uh, turns out when when we asked, um, one, you know, whenever we got around to asking, like, well, you know, uh, I, I saw some pictures of my grandfather and my great grandfather, but I never met either of them. I, I they both had passed away by the time I was born, so I never. I mean maybe they they saw me but like I I you know maybe I was 3 months old or something and saw one of them saw me or something but yeah yeah but I had no physical interaction ever with those people um and and no one necessarily told me right away that um they had been band directors too both of my grandfather and my great-grandfather directed like the town band of their town and wow. and these towns were sometimes like um close to each other in the middle of nowhere like way up near the top of north dakota yeah um is where they is Pemna was the name of the town and it had like i don't know the population was maybe like 460 people or Hmm. something like that and uh so like when my dad wanted to learn an instrument um they said well you have to pick one of these two because that's what the town band needs they didn't have a school band yeah they had a town band so like when he decided to pick tuba over whatever the other choice was um they found him a tuba and he sat next to i don't know the barber in town or whatever you know, like. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so like he didn't get um maybe the greatest information about how to play something yeah um and uh but that's 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 when he that's how he started playing uh, in, in any kind of a group it was in the town band in Pembina, North Dakota. Um, and when he went to college at University of North Dakota, which was you know one of the best thing play places you could go during that time, he was salty um, because he his band director didn't know anything about telling him how to play better either. Hmm. Like he didn't really understand brass instruments, particularly not giant brass instruments. Yeah, and so there was no. This is before there was a single professor of tuba in the United States. In no, un, there were no universities that had one. Right. Um, so I think Harvey Phillips was the guy's name who st- became the first one, and it was I think at Indiana University or someplace like that. And he was a you know legitimate, b- brilliant tuba player. And one of the colleges is like, well, we should hire that person. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and then once that happened, it sort of like opened the floodgates. But like, my dad had already graduated by the time, and he and his lessons with the band director were that he would bring in his parts for the band pieces and play them on his sousaphone hmm. in the office of the band director. And and my dad was just, you know, I'm sure I don't know if he said anything out loud, but like he definitely crabbed about it when i asked him like years later he's like yeah that was horrible it's really like i learned nothing yeah like i already you know so anyway um he figured out that if he could get a job so this is what a lot of people in those remote areas and even like fargo which was the large has always been the largest city in north dakota it's and still is um it's still has a lot of small town behaviors even now, you know? Yeah. And so, um, one of the things that was almost completely ubiquitous was that, um, all of the older musicians I worked with were some, were mostly like music educators and, um, and they they th- I think they entered that because they liked music, and they were pretty sure they would enjoy the job of teaching and it would give them a, an actual paycheck that they could raise their family with,
1: yeah, so did you think I'm going to be a band director, or did you no, think I
0: want to play no well I, I there was a time when I realized it was a job, and when I was thinking about it in those terms, um, I definitely kept it in my head that 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 um, it would be a job but my dad didn't necessarily encourage me to do it. And first of all, he so, – so one of the things that happened was my, my older sister um, was, like her grandmother's, uh, a brilliant piano player. Mm. And, um, and, like, when my dad when, – when my older sister was in high school and they ran – they couldn't find a bassoon player. He just said, can you learn how to play this? She's like, sure. <laughs> I can now play the bassoon. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that kind of thing. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. um, I, in retrospect, I think what I was doing was realizing that the piano, I like to say it's the easiest instrument in the world to play. And of course everyone who's taken piano lessons gets angry about that it's like well my cat can get a sound out of this thing yeah you know yeah so don't tell me yeah it's difficult <laughs> <laughs> when you're, you're coming from a brass player <laughs> side i mean that's <laughs> or yeah. even like you know fiddle sure. i mean like where's the frets man you know like <laughs> yeah you know, there's some there's some challenges there um so so uh i think that in retrospect i'd like to give myself credit because I maybe I can. Every yeah. all the, everyone who could have, you know, t- told me I'm full of it. Is maybe may passed on, but, but 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 I think I saw that you could just goof around on the piano like to your heart's content. Yeah, and I, that's what I wanted to do, and I, and I liked that idea. We had a piano in the house, obviously, and and everywhere we visited, there was a piano. And I did end up taking some lessons. Uh, my parents talked me into it, and the person that they found was good. It was like not strict or demeaning or yeah, really rough like and figured out like that i actually enjoyed playing some of the classical stuff that was fairly easy to play you know for a really good piano player um, and i enjoyed it cuz i was like wow bach woohoo you know yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. like the harmony and the, the the you know the um suspensions and and yeah. you know all kinds of beautiful stuff there and then my uncle came and lived with me he he was uh, my grand my mom's moms son and uh he was a great musician himself and he ended up playing horn in the west point band for like 24 years but what he was really trying to do the entire time was take lessons from new york jazz pianists uh, because he was not that far away from new york the 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 base uh is not a long drive it's like a 90 minute drive maybe yeah so he would come into new york take lessons with some of the some of the people there um so he's a really fine pianist himself and organist and whatever
1: so when did you like when when did it become i want to get out to the east coast i want to be in oh, new york almost and play? immediately i yeah. mean
0: <laughs> like like one and so one of the guy that was considered the most um, knowledgeable had lived through the most stuff and was the best musician in town was a piano player that guy when he i don't know how old i was when he asked me but but he said so what do you think you want to do you know, he had heard me play, and he knew I had some, you know, idea of what I was doing. Yeah. And and um, he's, but one time he just laid it out, and he said, "So what? Uh, what do you want to do?" And I said, "Well, I want to um, go on." So in as a kid in Fargo, I saw every single one of the bands. They came, all of them came through Fargo hmm. in my lifetime. Because when I I was a young kid, Minneapolis and then trying to get. Yeah, yeah. like it's a big long interstate through there. You can get from, you know, Minnesota to Wyoming or wherever it is you're headed. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw Thad Jones and I saw, um, you know, Stan Kenton, Woody Herman, Buddy Rich, Maynard. I don't know. All of it. Thad Thad and Mel came, you know. Man. Toshiko. I mean, like all these bands came to my town, and wow. I went and saw every single one of them. And I just every time I'd see one of those bands, I was like, "Oh, that'd be fun to be in one of those bands. Boy, in the trombone section, it'd be amazing." You know. Yeah. And so I thought, okay. But then, you know, I didn't really understand how you got into one. You know, so I didn't know. I just said, "Well, that looks great." And so this guy, the mentor, the pianist, he, he knew, you know, more about that kind of thing. And so one time he just said, "You know, do you?" Want, and I said, "Would well, like to be in a big band?" He said, "Well." Um, and are you thinking of going like maybe to New York or LA? Those are your two like biggest choices. I mean, there's a lot of work in each of those places, but it's not necessarily easy to get it at all. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and I said, yeah, I'd like to go to New York. And, and, um, and he said, he said, and, and then he said, well, how, wait, how old are you? And I said, um, 16, you know, I <laughs> said, well, you should go now. And I just went like, "What?" <laughs> it freaked me out, you know. And, You're and, still in high school. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. And I freaked it. I freaked out because I I wasn't thinking of it at all like that. And, and his and his reply was, "Well, if you move now, in two years you'll be 18 and you'll have learned a whole bunch. Yep. You know. <laughs> or yeah.
2: You'll be and, ahead of and, it.
0: Yeah." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I don't. I don't." It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> so um, there was a the McDonald's Corporation started an all-American marching band. Mm. And they put it in the Macy's parade. And you could be in that band if you were nominated by, I guess, your band director or something like that. Um and then I don't know if you had to play, submit a little something or other of playing, maybe. I, I would hope so, but I don't really remember. Yeah. So I got into that. And then from within that, they formed uh, – well, I shouldn't say from within that. I might have made the, the giant band because I could play jazz. Um, and so, like, Chris Bodie was a member of this. This is the very first one of these things. Wow. And so, like, he was in that band. Um, Do you remember meeting him, talking to him at yeah, all? Yeah, totally. Uh, that's nuts. Yep, yep. <laughs> anyway, so we did that, and then we did some other gigs. We played at the Orange Bowl. We, when we were in New York, we did the Macy's Parade, obviously. But we went into Radio City Music Hall and recorded ourselves. And the guy that they picked to lead it, he was in like Mingus's band or something like that. Wow. Um, or or or, or one of the bands that was kind of like that. That was like almost like almost entirely black people. Um, who yeah. were doing some fairly modern stuff. Yeah. Um, but he understood that. Like, he didn't make us necessarily play too much of that. Um, but we loved it. It was, a, it was really a blast doing that. Mm. And uh, so then I guess that made me... So then I had... One of the things they, they had us do in New York was get on a bus, and they took a tour of the city. And the person who talked about it, um, just... She said, like, really interesting things. She's like, well, so this part of the town now used to be like a really swanky place, but like this kinda happens in New York and it's cyclical is like uh, eventually people won't be able to afford to live there and so the rents are gonna go down. Yeah. And then that's all gonna shift to some other part of town. Yeah you know, where the new swank place will be. And I was like, Oh, okay. So that just sort of helped me like uh imagine being in New York. Yep, yeah. Um Okay. And, and having, you know, like, walked outside in a parade <laughs> with millions of people or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought, well, I'm alive. I lived through that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I found out that my first trombone teacher in northern Colorado, who had been on Stan Kenton's band, Wee Herman's band, and played principal trump- trombone in the Denver Symphony, was a very well-rounded player, and he hmm. tried to get us to all be the same, you know, which was great. He found out... Um, some places where you could send a cassette tape to one of those road bands, like Glenn Miller's band or, yep, yep. or whatever. Buddy Rich, uh, Stan Kenton, you know Woody Herman, I think was still playing then. So I sent, I made a tape in my basement um, with like an Abersold maybe uh, backing me up, um, and I sent it to all all those places, and I got two calls back. And uh, one was from Tommy Dorsey band, I think it was. Yeah. And the other one was from Ray Charles. Man, so this is. Are are you in New York at this time when
1: you did this recording? I'm living in Fargo. Fargo? Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I had finished going to. I didn't graduate from from Greeley, Colorado, northern northern Colorado, Greeley. I didn't graduate from there. Yeah. But I went for four years, and I got a lot of good help and information. So when I sent out this tape I was living in the basement in my basement of the of our house and uh I don't know I I sent that out and so and and it turned out the way Ray ended up happening was he, which was a you know pretty nice nice thing was they had he would go like 6 months kind of like nonstop yep. tour every year and then six months off, mostly. Although in that off period, maybe if something seemed like it was a good idea and easy enough to do, he would pop out for that. Yep. So in one of those things, one of those one-offs, um, I guess he probably figured, well, I kind of like this guy. Um, let's invite him to do this gig, see what he does. Um, and so I think it was in like Fort Lauderdale or someplace. I don't know, a warm place. And... and uh, um. They would normally, well, so like Ray. This was interesting. Ray never told the band what we were going to play. Hmm. He would send the list to the band director, and he would tell us the list. Um, so, so there was like a band director conducting
1: the yeah yeah the like yeah, yeah the lead out to player. Oh, okay,
0: fantastic. He, he yeah he he knew Train and all the all kinds of hip people. He wow. Was, um we all like loved him deeply and, um um anyway uh so on that day he was trying to guess what tunes we should rehearse because he just didn't even know what was going to be on the he didn't know show. <laughs> yeah no one had told him and he was like well let's just try playing this one so we played a couple things and we get out there and and um and then they give us the list and i find all the tunes and i think the very first and so the, ray always started with just the band most people that hired him didn't know that and they sort of and 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 if you wanted the show to be longer it would just be more banned yeah sure yeah <laughs> so his part of the show was always the same like 50 minutes or whatever it was yeah um and if you asked for more and, and you'd just get a lot more band. yeah sure <laughs> pretty clever it's <That's> awesome yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so whatever the first tune was I was playing the third trombone part, which is absolutely where I would have put myself, you know, if, <laughs> if, if somebody who doesn't really know totally what's going to happen. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> so so anyway, it turned out to be like, is it... Da, 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 do, 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 do. What's oh, the name oh, of that tune? Did it Spain? Spain, it? yeah, do, Spain. Do, so do, that's do, one. Do. There was an arrangement in Spain. Yeah. And I'd heard it, but I never played it. I heard it a lot. I had Chick Corea records, records. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, like, in the beginning, playing the, that, that unison thing. And I, and, I, and I was like, I totally know. And I played the crap out of it. And I played it strongly. And, and, and in the middle of me playing, <laughs> or maybe when it was done, there was, like, um, Ray stood up, f- f- aimed his face exactly at where I was. <laughs> And yelled, third trombone too goddamn loud. <laughs> too goddamn loud. <laughs> and, and and I like fr- and I kinda like just froze <laughs> But then I realized, well, I guess I better I guess I better just, you know, not play a song. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so. He's gonna hear everything. That's a- so um I did and and um and then nothing else weird happened. Um <laughs> And it's then I didn't. Good, and then I didn't really know what that meant. Like like once that yep. gig was over, like some people said some <clears throat> nice things, and I actually got to talk to a couple of them. They were super friendly and supportive and helpful. You know, like just talking about what might happen in the gig and whatever. I, I got a little bit of inside information from them, and they were happy to, you know, I guess because I didn't do any other than playing too loud. I didn't do anything really stupid, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And and but I had no idea. Somebody actually one of called me. One maybe somebody in the trombone section. Hey, are you going to do the tour? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah, like, they haven't told you, and I was like, no, they haven't. And, and am I supposed to ask? <laughs> anyway, so uh, I've been um, in that spot before. Yeah, and it turned out that that uh, they did accept me then for the tour, which always started in L.A. and and uh, yeah, it was a great great way to experience that kind of a thing. You know, so
1: did you six months did you do a six month six months, stress?
0: Yeah. yeah. And so like you know in the 2 years I did it two 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 tours I might have gone to like 18 different countries and like wow. 40 of the United States and oh, Canada man. and Brazil, you know. <laughs> like, Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, what well, like in fact the one and and there were two guys that were doing like equipment. They were Beautiful brothers from Detroit. And and they were our equipment managers. And um, one of their jobs, and I didn't think about it at all until much, much later, was to go into the audience and see people had these cameras, portable cameras to film stuff. And they would just like rip out the film (laughs) they would go and rip the film out you know because they understood like this is going to be a thing that might be worth money later and they're going to try and sell it and we're not going to get it yep that part i didn't really understand that part like all that well but there was one place uh in brazil where there's footage of me playing in the band um just in the section for a couple seconds you can see me um and then I went, well, I guess I'm kind of happy that I can see that.
1: You yeah. Know, there's some, some <laughs> documented evidence yeah. of it.
0: You can't really hear what I'm doing or anything like that, which is fine. It's not about me. But, but you can see what a show with Ray was broadly like, you know. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And so-, and so the craziest part of that whole tour was, the most infamous part of it, the two years, was there was a time when he fired the bass player just before a show. Yeah. Yeah. And then because my Fargo upbringing with all, gigging with all these band director dudes and my dad, one of the things he would do if I was on the gig with him, this, and I, it's like my, it's just like super important and helpful. He would, he would say, well, you know, the guy that was playing drums, he's one of my dearest friends, but you know, he tends to rush. And, um, and, and, I, and he said, um, one thing you can do to sometimes keep a drummer from rushing is to go into two, which is always cornier, and it doesn't swing as hard. Yeah. But it helps corral <laughs> the tempo that they're trying to, like, you know, change yeah um and so i was like oh, i've never heard that that's well, interesting yep well i mean it, it doesn't sound as hip i mean like you know if you're trying to play more modern jazz you're almost always playing for the bar yep. you know yep. although new orleans stuff is still sometimes too yeah and it grooves its butt off you know yep yep so so and i didn't know about like that i didn't know that much about that type of thing then yeah uh, nothing like it was happening in fargo then so i didn't know about that um but uh yeah. So he fires the bass player. Then it turns out we, he asks if there's a bass. And turns out one of the stagehands or something had a bass. Yeah. He like, hands me the bass. And the, 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 uh, the organization owned a little Galen Kruger amp, a really nice little portable one. And so that was already there, and so I just had the bass and I had the chord, and I go out and I plug it in, and I kind of go like ding ding ding, and and as soon as the band leader sees that I'm f- making a sound through the bass amp, he goes, all right, here we go, one, two, one, two, three, you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and the first band tune is Sister Sadie, yeah, and it's a fairly you know moving tempo, and um and the and the greatest part of it all was I don't know if that's what the key of that tune normally is, but it was in G. It was yeah. In, it G. in G? Okay, so that was good. So, as a, as a guy that sh- doesn't know if the bass is in tune, that's the best possible key. Yeah, <laughs> because, there you go. because when I heard it, was like, this, is not, this is like, this is like super flat. So, <laughs> so like I could go like G, 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 and then we get done with that, and then. <laughs> so he still Ray had so many great big band arrangers work with him, all kinds of different people like Bob Brookmeyer wrote a lot of charts. Yeah, and, um, I can't even remember everyone's name, um, just like the top L.A. studio, beautiful, you know, people. And so um, there was a tune in the book that in the original version Brookmeyer would play, like Ray would just go chord. And then you would allow the trombone player to just like mess around for a little bit. And then, I don't know, whenever he felt like moving along, you'd play the next chord. And, and it was like just sort of, and there was nothing else happening. It was like hmm. him, chord, me playing trombone, wow. you know, and that happened like, I don't know, whenever we did that tune. And it wasn't like, because uh, I, I think, you know, he just, I'm guessing he liked the way I played it. And, and, um, and he would do this similar thing for other people that he felt like were strong soloists in the band. Uh, in the in the sax, sax section, he tried to feature as many of them and the trumpets and everything, you know. Cool. So there were lots of different, you know, chances for people to have a fairly decent spotlight, you know, in the band. He wasn't like a jerk about that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so I was so focused on what I was doing next, and I get the piece up, and I'm and I'm. And I, I don't even know if it crossed my mind, like, this is the one I solo on on trombone, you know, because I was just like, well, I don't give a, I mean, like, I'm, what's the bass part? You know? Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. This is what I'm doing now, you know? And so all of a sudden I hear, like, chord, <laughs> 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 and, my, and my beautiful roommate, um, fantastic human being. Um, was a bass trombone player, lovely lovely human and he could play the book but he couldn't really do much beyond that and, yeah. and, and but he'd been bugging the, so he started bugging all the remaining trombones that weren't me at, in that moment like let me play the solo <laughs> and, and one of the guys in the band was mad at me because he had fixed it so he was getting lead bone pay without playing lead bone Huh? Because he asked me if I wanted to play lead. I was like, I don't know. What do you? Why? Why are you asking me? He says, Well, I don't really want to play. Would you want to play lead? And I was like, Well, if you don't want to, I'll be happy to do it. So I did, and I could. And, and, and did you know that there I was? I had a, no idea there pay? was a pay discrepancy. Yes. <laughs> That's the whole point. And so I did like almost an entire tour without knowing that. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, so 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 anyway, I'm. <laughs> I'm looking at my music just like staring at it trying to get a sense of what's going on you know and all of a sudden you hear and then the way it would work is you know Ray would play a chord and you'd play like a thing and you weren't supposed to do like an opera or whatever obviously but um And it sort of seemed like he was trying to answer whatever it is you did in reason, you know. Like, I felt like that's kind of how it worked. Yeah. And it was kind of really fun to be in that little just the two of us thing. Totally. A couple times. And um, so as soon as he heard this... Bad, bad play. He was like, next word, next word, next. You know, right through it, <laughs> super fast. Okay, we're out of there. <laughs> so I was just like, I was, I was thinking entirely about the bass, and I was just like, not really able to. I would, <laughs> And then the third, what was the third thing? There was a third thing that happened in there. Um, oh, he decided to call. I think in the set, like he would sometimes do an audible, like whatever our list was, he would just say, well, I'm going to do this. And he would maybe play this thing. And so there was a tune, a beautiful ballad that he would sing. And it was just him on piano and the bass player. And uh, luckily, um, I had played enough bass to be fairly confident. And, um, and I had witnessed our excellent bass player who had left the band, Uh, a couple guys before this guy quit, you know, forcing me to be there in the chair. I watched him and there was a spot where you had to hit a harmonic and bend the neck. Yeah. Which I didn't know you could do, but I saw how it was done because I was sitting in the trombone section and I could see him in front of the stage there doing that. So so he called that just because he thought, well, let's see what this guy knows. Like, because we're playing, tomorrow in Key West (laughs) and so we need to know like basically what Ray was not he wasn't telling me this but what he was what he was doing was we need to know if this guy could do the second gig and not just ruin everything yeah and it looks like maybe he could (laughs) because I've just tested him on (laughs) several of the biggest hurdles you know so um, that is that's what happened Um, Wow so then we went to Key West They had a beautiful fretless bass, (laughs) electric bass. And I was like, damn. And then he called the one real solo for bass like with the band, which was I Want Your Love, like a disco tune. Hmm. And he would open, like the Ray Letts would sing that, kick it, really, really rock it. Um, and then they were that was where there was a base. And of course, you're supposed to be slapping and popping, but there's no there's no fret, so you can't. yeah, so it just sort of so what I ended up doing is like just it sounded all boingy. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I felt sort of ridiculous, yeah <laughs> Anyway, so then uh, he called me into the office afterwards and thanked me and gave me some denomination of bills. <laughs> 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 and i and I resisted. The chance to say, "Gee, Ray, thanks, ten bucks." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he'd appreciate that. But yeah, he right. might. He might have. <laughs> but I decided not to, not to try that. Yeah. And then they got a you know real person, so. and you you went back to trombone and finished yeah. the tour. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> nice. That's fun. So you you've also played with some of my favorite bands in the world. You played with Maria Schneider's orchestra, and you play with yeah. John
0: Hollenbeck, and yep, of course Fred Hirsch, who I. Th- did you just play with Fred again recently? Did you go Not back too at? recently, but I've played a couple different projects with him. I'm on. He he did a, a project of the poetry of Walt Whitman, and I'm on that. Cool. Um, and I think that's uh, Kurt Elling is singing on that. Um, I can't remember if there's another. There must be another singer. I can't remember who it is. Yeah. Um, uh, and then um. The one that I really liked was My Coma Dreams, man. He wrote a whole thing about it nearly dying and being yeah. in a coma and coming right. back out of it and learning how to walk and Jeez. how to play the piano again and all that. Yeah, that was – it was like um, trumpet, tenor, <clears throat> trombone, and then like a string quartet, I think, hmm. um, piano-based drums. And with with an actor – Uh, and a narrator, I think. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and um, and the way Fred wrote it, all the narration was so amazing that he kept getting invited. I don't know if he's done doing it even yet, um, but many medical facilities asked him to come and present the work just because. he was a fairly well-known human in art, who had come back from basically not being alive. I yeah, guess, you know. Yeah, um, and he and and he relearned how to how to do that. Amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah. So how, so like you, you finished with Ray. Did you move to New York right away? Yes. And then like you started getting connected like i know that you spent time on broadway doing yep, shows yep. and i
0: knew like, one i knew one guy the guy from fargo north dakota uh whose dad was the north dakota state university band director yeah. and an excellent trombonist himself he'd given me a couple lessons but he said no you should take lessons from my son bruce who had gone to new england conservatory hmm. um and i think he had moved to new york that already. So he, so what, by the time I did, I knew that guy, I knew one guy there. And, um, um, actually other than that, probably nobody else, but, 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 uh, um, he helped explain how it worked and, uh, the very first time, I mean, because I was, you know, an idiot in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still capable of being an idiot. But, um, Aren't we all? <laughs> but, but he introduced me to one of the busiest trombonists, Jack Schatz, who played all kinds of stuff, like commercial stuff, shows, recordings, you know. Hmm. Uh, and, um, and, and classical, he's a classical guy. Um, and when they said something like, you know, Broadway show and I said well who would want to play a show like you keep playing this stuff all the time and, and they just laughed and and, and, <laughs> and, and then, then, then that's when I later figured out that yeah well that's one of the best paying gigs in, in town if you're, if you're trying to like eat based on your ability to play yeah. that's one of the things that could really work for you and so I happened to hit town when the, I almost played A show, literally sight reading it, because the old school people that liked me enough to invite me to possibly play the show, they wanted me to sight read the show, Hmm. and I always thought I was pretty good at sight reading, but by the time and they asked me if I was, and I was like, yeah, I'd like to do it, and it turns out um, that the show actually closed before the day when I was going to do that. Ah, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I said, "Well, can you I can I, get, can I get into the pit and at least like stare at the music or something? You know, like like is it okay?" Uh, and they were like, uh. <laughs> you know, "Because because that must have been like the New York vibe, and maybe it wasn't like that in LA. I don't really know that much about it. Yeah. But like you know, that people that can sight read that was like a like a real badge of honor, you know. Yeah. And I felt like I'd been taught toward that end, and I thought I was really pretty good at it too." Um, but by the time I started getting into shows, everyone was saying, bring your portable cassette recorder, record the whole show. Here's a copy of the music. Yeah. Cause they figured like they finally like realized it would be easier on all of us. And you know, like many more people could work in this industry at least a tiny bit yep. which would save their asses and they wouldn't need to leave leave town you know yeah and and um and then students that i've taught and loved you know i could have them help out on the show you know and i could right. do it like you know i don't have to like wonder if you're you know <laughs> <able> <laughs> as i read something so so yeah. yeah and so then i was able to do it and i just you know practiced it a billion times and listened to it a zillion times and um, and when I when and when I finally played a show, for the first time, a relatively crabby bass trombonist, like a beautiful human and an amazing musician and all that, and we later became friends, I think. And um, uh, he said that's the best first show I've ever heard anybody play. Wow. and and, 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 and well, and I and it took me a while to understand that it wasn't like that. I was a genius. It was partly because anybody should be able to play the show after you know getting the research at that I mean, like that's what that's what classical people do there with their whole lives is they keep playing the same excerpts over and over and over right. and over again like you know petrushka yeah <clears throat> i mean yep. <laughs> nobody's played that many times <laughs> you know like it's it's yeah yeah you 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 have to because it's not really logical or normal compared to like what a tr- trumpet does you know yeah yep. it's a lot of, everything about it is weird you have to stay on top of it um
1: so then that turned into a 23 24 year yeah. How many year career
0: in, yeah, on Broadway? Yeah, I think it was 23. 23 years? Yeah. I um when I was updating my I don't know, CV or whatever a while ago, I learned I had never counted. My, although my buddy Bruce Item, he counted actual shows. Yeah. So he's like shows. He's like, yeah, um 12,000 shows or something. I mean, oh, like, you geez. know, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I could never do that. I would never want to know. Yeah, How many? <laughs> but he's he's really into it. He he, he he's still counting. Wow. <laughs> so I, I don't know what the number of it is, but I think it's over ten thousand for sure.
1: So did you did you grow to like doing that? Because like yeah, I done totally. some shows myself totally. and like did you know it's like it, it was all right. It was nice to ha- have like a steady check. You know, like I felt like yeah, this is cool. I was working at the Children's Theater in Minneapolis and did it. Did some subbing at the Guthrie and, yeah. you know, did a show at another theater. and You know, it's like, I've generally played shows that had jazz stuff in them. Yep. Because that's what people knew me as. But I mm-hmm. still would feel like my soul was getting sucked away over yes. over the course of many weeks, you know, yes. when it became like these long run shows. It got tough to like... Continue to go down there, yeah. You know, dressing all black. It's like you're not. It's like you stop kind of. I don't know. For me, it was like you're not in front of the audience, so you're like you're not. I'm. Not, I wasn't taking care of myself in the same way. I'm not like looking how I usually look when I go out and play.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I, I don't know that I liked that, you know. And it's like it was nice to get the bag, but it was like, yeah, I wanted to be playing. Yep. Jazz shows, and you you got to do that in New York. So were you subbing out Broadway shows when you got an opportunity to play with, say, like
0: Maria or something like that? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's um, wow. Uh, one one of the one of the things I didn't understand very well at all. So this this mentor of mine, Bruce Item, who who was doing some of the shows, and that's where on a show that he was in. That's the first place I I subbed and was successful. Hmm. Um, um, shoot, what was I saying? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was talking
1: about not. I was talking about subbing out gigs. And... Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so so that um, I went to the Manhattan School of Music um, in, in, for this reason. Um, my buddy Bruce Iden was going there to work on his master's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if he f- hoped he could get a college job or if he just wanted to become a better player or, or meet some people. I don't really know. Why why he went there? Um, Because I ended up getting a doctorate later, but but like I didn't know I was going to do that either. But but and and at Manhattan Manhattan, and maybe it's the same at Juilliard and other really big schools around there. Um, But Manhattan had a great liberal policy, which is like, hey, if you could call for a gig, take the gig and get somebody to sub on your school orchestra seat. Yeah, do that. You need to learn know how to do this. Yeah, and so and so. He started getting calls to do paying gigs, you know, um, and uh, and he called me for all of those gigs because he knew I wasn't doing anything, and he knew that I kind of knew something about what I was doing. Yeah, cool. And, and that I wasn't probably going to do anything stupid and ruin ruin any of that, you know. Um, so I, I just was constantly there in the Manhattan School of Music, and one day, well, the trombone professor who was playing in the Metropolitan Opera, he's like. I see you all the time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like are 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 you in are you uh you know, getting a degree here? I was like, no, I'm just filling in for for my buddy Bruce all the time. <laughs> and he plays in all, you know, he plays in the orchestra, plays in the jazz band, he plays in the brass quintet or whatever, like all you know, you maybe we even had a wind ensemble, I can't remember. But he played, you know, in all that stuff. Yeah. Um and he was like, huh. <laughs> so so <laughs> so then he said, um, um. well, do you have a, a bachelor's degree? I said, yeah, I do. Yep. And he said, uh, are you interested in getting a master's degree? I said, I don't know. You know? <laughs> never. I never thought about it. <laughs> and he said, well, if I told you it would be free, would you be interested in it? I was like, yes, yes. There you go, nice. <laughs> so, so that's what happened. They so offered. those became
1: like your auditions almost, like going and sitting yeah, in those
0: bands and yeah. they got to hear you play and go yeah. like, this guy can really do it. Yeah. yeah that's cool yeah so I got a master's degree and that and I you know I learned and so the th- and the thing the one that it's like almost the tiniest thing but it turned out to be like I wouldn't say like it changed my path in a huge way, but it helped so much more than like what it felt like um, this this teacher was a really lovely human. He wasn't in maybe the greatest shape when I encountered him. Yeah. When he would try and demonstrate something, it didn't actually sound all that amazing. Mm. And he didn't really address it. Um, and I don't know if he would had a debilitating condition. I don't really know about it. But, but we were both, I think, nice to each other about all that stuff. And so the one thing that he pointed out to me, it's like the smallest... He, he told me... You are not yet, you've never in my presence made of what we would call a classical attack of a note. Ah. Like I was such a jazz brain. Yeah. Um, Wanting to like make everything connect and slur. and um, And when I was doing that, I thought the kind of like D sound I was using with, you know, my tongue instead of the. Yep, the crisp, you know, and I knew about the the T. I just had been so much jazz and commercial, um, I kind of like didn't remember it, or you know, so he 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 reminded me. Yeah, you need to be able to do this to play in a brass quintet or an orchestra, or and I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) and and so kind of like just from that really great observation i became viable to kind of classical things and so one of the more fun gigs i ever ended up doing was playing on a in a baroque orchestra they were playing at a430 Hmm. and they had like bassoons that only had, like, three keys on them. Wow. <laughs> Trumpets that didn't have any keys on them. Yeah, yeah. Holes, you know. Just the clarion holes, yeah. <laughs> yep. Cool. And and we played old music that was meant to be played at, like, A430. And um, and I ended up getting an old trombone. Um, so were those instruments all purposefully to- tuned to A430 rather than what's they, typical they, now, A440? Well, they were because... I've never understood this. Like I, I really want to research it someday. I don't. I still don't understand why we picked 440 or whatever the number was. Yeah. Like, like you know, I don't know if somebody said like. Well, at the end of the Geneva Convention, when they were trying to like just take care of everything, so they could get the hell out of there, it's like, what about what about pitch? And uh, people just started saying four twelve, four eighteen, four you know. Yes. <laughs> it's like four forty. We're out of here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? Arbitrary.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. It seems like it had to have been. Yeah. Like, well, what else could it possibly have been? And 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 uh, so those and and when I went home to visit my dad. He ended up with these three old trombones, and they were all old enough to be A430. So I just picked the least crappy one, and I brought it back to New York. And when I was in a pit mentioning this, there was a horn player who said, did you say it has two tuning slides? <laughs> like, what a, weird, what a weird thing to, like, overhear and yeah. ask about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Uh, and I said, yes, it does. <laughs> she said, well, I have some gigs for you. Wow. Because she knew, she liked the way I behaved and played, and she knew that means he has a horn that can play in at A430, and it won't be, like, you know, ruining it or anything. Yep. Like, it'll, it'll feel comfortable. And so then then here, out of the blue, I'm playing... It's not, it's not a big orchestra, but it's an orchestra. And everyone, like even the string players, like this is from the 1500s, this bass, you know, wow. or whatever. <laughs> and it's just like, and, and it, it's so, it was so interesting. Like all of a sudden you're hearing orchestral sounds, but they're not as, I don't know, edgy. And they just seem more mellow and like blended together. Mm. And nobody's hurting themselves. Like man, in, a, in the New York Philharmonic trombone section, they might have like deafened some people permanently, you know, they were sure. playing like really, really strong. Yeah. I don't know whose idea that was. Yeah. But nobody <laughs> stopped them from doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not going to even begin to insinuate that they weren't amazing, amazing players. Yeah. Just that. In retrospect, I was like, I don't know that I'd want to be in something that was working that hard to play. Yeah. Really, really, really loud. Yeah. You know? Like, like, yeah. So, yep. Um, And then when I was in Ray's band, a couple of the members were like, you ever play salsa? And I was like, I don't know. What's that? what you know <laughs> and so so they they said we're taking you to and so they took me to a record store in east la and they we just walked through the aisles and they go like here they just handed me lps yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i just bought like you know eight of them or whatever it was and and then i had to so show ship... what was it like indestructible and stuff like it, ray it, barretto um uh, there might have been some of that but i definitely remember willie cologne yeah and Fania all-stars and um uh, I haven't th- thought of those records in a long time now, but, but, uh, shoot. Uh, 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 oh man. And then Mario Bausa, hmm. um, I got to play with him cool. a couple of times. I <sighs> mean, hmm. you know, I don't know. I don't know how, I mean, I know Bruce item ended up playing with them and he sent me as a sub and they liked me as a sub. And so then... So then I got to do it, um, couple, you know, live several times with Cecilia Cruz. Um, is that her name? The singer? One of the, just to like to like the Ella Fitzgerald of salsa singing. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. No, I, and, and um, but thankfully for those band members that introduced me to the idea of salsa and like what it was, I had enough of an idea. It turns out that the first apartment we lived in was like a block away from a salsa school cool or or like a larger building one of the rooms was a salsa school yeah and so when they found out this guy doesn't have any work and he lives like (laughs) down the street call him you know (laughs) and then there was a guy who had been a i think he had tried to play and he definitely tried to play salsa and you know latin stuff Um, And he had been a music educator in like middle schools. And he had done that like three blocks away from where we happened to live. Yeah. Um, Some would say like slightly past the border of Spanish Harlem. I don't know. Whatever. We didn't think about it. Yeah. And there weren't really any super creepy events or anything like that. Um, And so he would hold like a, a brass choir. He bought all the Robert King books, which are brilliant, like, Beginnerish, beautiful music it's mostly pretty really old music but he would write it out so that you know you could have trumpets and horns and flugelhorns and euphoniums and tubas you know so like and he would just try and get as many people in there like and maybe one day it was only going to be octets and then it'll be 16 parts next week or whatever you know and so you would meet a whole bunch of people and it was not competitive you were just playing for fun yeah yep. and so um, I was always, that the way, I, you know, in Fargo, it made me think I will do that pretty much any time. Like, I'm not at all turning you down because you're not paying me. I mean, if it sounds like, like it might be interesting to play, I would love to try it. Yeah. You know, whatever it is.
1: And that, did, do you feel like that philosophy led to you working in tons of
0: yes. things and getting yeah. paid eventually? Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. and that, uh, Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and some of the people... Uh, were clearly not operating with that idea. Yeah. But like they were laser focused on a certain thing and didn't probably, I don't know that most of those people were very happy, you know. Sure. Um, like, my fa- one of my favorite humans of all time is Scott Robinson, this guy. Mm-hmm. And I met him doing a horrible 4th of July parade with an awful band and a really angry <laughs> leader <laughs> and later on somebody said i think he was part of the uh, mussolini brown shirts or something Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. i don't know new jersey you know yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so i'm playing and then there's a guy i was he, we had these mar- marching, you know, liars and we had the parts, and I'm, I'm playing. And behind me, I'm just hearing all these amazing <laughs> sounds. And it turns out it's Scott Robinson playing the bass saxophone. He's wow. just playing the shit. <laughs> it's, it's just, I'm just like, my God, man. this is amazing. Um, and then there's a trombone player that's trying to blow over everything and not, not doing a good job. <laughs> yes. And then um this is my favorite part. We're done. We're definitely done. We move in five, rank and file not, at, you know, not really probably even in step, but we get to the uh football field where the fireworks are going to happen or whatever and and um I don't know, there's a lull and nothing's happening and then the, this Angry little Mussolini guy. It. <laughs> it's like let's let's play. We got to play now. There's nothing's happening, and he's like, "Okay, well, let's do the Stars and Stripes Forever." And, and he just starts like waving. <laughs> and and I think what all of us, or at least most of us, did was, what's going to happen at the dogfight? How does that go? What are those notes? What are those intervals? yeah none of us know what those are it's gonna be a shit show and so none of us played a note like without speaking to each other just like, it's like i no, can see where that's gonna go we're let's, not gonna do that let's not do that Dude's, he's waving his arms nobody's playing because awesome. we all just said yeah that that can't possibly you know internally we said that can't possibly work and yeah. So we shut it down. So that <laughs> That was one of my earliest gigs, you know. <laughs> was doing. <laughs> yep. No, there were a lot of great kind of weird mishaps like that. So did
1: you end up uh working with Scott after that? Like you Not immediately.
0: Um but when when I did, I just kept thinking like he played in Maria's band. Oh, it probably still is in Maria's band. He's been in there the entire time. And like when he would play, I would just go like. And um, I don't know how exactly I felt like I got to know him better. Um, There's a guitar player named James Chirillo who kind of lived near where Scott did. And when he found out that I wasn't that far from there, sometimes we would end up like at a party that Scott would host. And then people might try and play a little bit after that. And, you know, that might have been how I first might have played with him was a party yeah I don't know. or maybe he subbed i had a regular friday night gig in it with a really bad um traditional jazz band they were all amateurs that that started the band mm-hmm. and there were a couple of people that kind of knew more about what they were doing and maybe scott played that because he he's was that kind of guy like he would play almost with any anybody in in any circumstance just because what what you know what could it hurt I guess. Yeah. So maybe. Um, so yeah. is he how you got connected with Maria? Is that... No, I... Th- I so, so the way I got... Com- so Maria, like, when she started her band, she was at... Um... A Brazilian nightclub. Hmm. That was the vibe. The people that owned it were from Brazil. Interesting. And, and that was co- and,
1: that was a co-led
0: band, right? Her, like, her early iteration? With Fed it like Chalk. Okay. Yeah. And then... But by the time I... Enc- encountered it it was just her Okay. I didn't I never was there for the fed jock part mm. um, and the only reason I think I got in as a sub is because um, George Flynn bass trombone player and uh, man one of the great Keith O'Quinn those two people I subbed on shows with them
1: mm. Okay.
0: I wouldn't right. have thought of it like that. But in retrospect, it's, it's easier to understand that now. Yeah. Um, they just like, well, this guy can read. And he you knows how to play a plain tune and in a section. And he's probably not doing anything stupid. And he's definitely not going to ask to play a solo. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, we don't know if he can, but like, you know, he's not that dumb. Yeah. You know, like, Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, so,
1: um, but there is a recording of you soloing with Maria's band. Is there? There's a live yeah, you t- you take a solo. I don't remember what tune, but there's a live recording that's on YouTube, and it's just like a still picture, hmm. and you're in the band, oh. and then she's on the mic. She says your name, and oh, you take a solo. Right. I played it for our jazz history classes. I was showing them a bunch of Maria
0: stuff, <laughs> and I th- I found it. and I thought <laughs> I got to show them this because it's mine. Yeah, you know? um, yeah. Well, she she. Uh has always been like a fantastic human being. And and, uh, so it was really a pleasure to go there. And and, and so one of the guys in her band, um, Rock Cicerone, Hmm. he was the one trombone player I encountered who could deal with giant steps at the normal tempo pretty much. And it was amazing. Um, And I think she had a chart on it, and he would often get to play on it. I mean, and so would a bunch of other people, too. Cool. Um, and he ended up playing the Lion King, mm. which has now run for like 30 years. Forever, yeah. So I don't know when he started. I, I know he wasn't there at the beginning. And then George Flynn, who was also in Marie's band, one of the top bass trombonists in town, he had been playing the Lion King. He finally bailed. Um, then I started subbing for the guy that uh, on the bass trombone tuba chair. Um, and, uh, that was actually pretty pleasant. Um, but I think rock had trouble, you know, like once he wasn't in Maria's band, I don't know what else he had to do, you know? Yeah. And certainly the fact that he could really deal with giant steps was an amazing thing, but I don't know. Uh, I always liked him. I mean, he's still he's still around. I would I, I'm pretty sure. I think he's still alive. And um, but it just it just sort of showed I don't know how weird it all could be. You know that yep. some, somebody somebody that does like one of the harder things you can possibly imagine doesn't get credit for it because it's not actually needed that often. You know. Yeah, I, I was just saying like on this podcast
1: yesterday, like man it's far more like there's all these other things that are non-musical that are as important yeah you know or yeah. in times more important than being a really impressive soloist or like a really impressive technician yeah. you know it's like just being a good hang being reliable yeah. answering your phone yeah. like all these basic things yeah. that are really important to making a career yep it's like you don't have to be the one that can burn over giant steps right you know what i mean right. yep reliable solid player good reader it's like all these things that yeah yeah um, yep
0: yeah are you willing to tune to somebody else in the middle of a, a chord? you know <laughs> yeah man yeah just tiny little things like that all that <laughs> you know? yep
1: yeah so what ha- how did uh john hollandbeck's band uh come together
0: um uh, wow i wish i could be positive about that let me think let me think um I don't know. Uh, that is an excellent f- question. <laughs> uh, oh, the f- there's two reasons, um, and they're weird. Um, <laughs> um, so when we played with Fred Hirsch and the first project, when I when I was part of that, um, John Hollenbeck was the drummer. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. He he was he he tried to use John I think all the time for that particular stuff, and um, so one of the places we played on tour with Raised Band was in Rochester at like right near um, Eastman, you know. Yep. And um, and so, like any good musical college, when they heard Raised Band was in town, they're like. Let's invite him over to jam at our like frat house or whatever so so we were invited and I went down and played and um <laughs> and I happened to just like i think I went over to John and said, man, you sound amazing, great you know hope to hope to see you you know somewhere down the road or whatever and and um and I don't know if this is when we had just gotten back from a tour and I had One of the places we went was Istanbul, Turkey. Yeah. And we went to the Istanbul factory. The drummer in our band knew an an American that had been living in Turkey for a billion years and was a great jazz drummer himself. And so he, he contacted that guy. And we squeezed into a fiat or something and drove way, way out what seemed like in the middle of nowhere. Oh, sorry about yeah, that. You're good. Middle of nowhere and, and um and we stopped at what looked just like a house. It looked exactly like somebody's house. It didn't look at any like kind of a factory of any type. And when you went in, there was nothing in there except like super hot. Fiery thing, <laughs> you know, places to melt metal, I guess, and wow. and then places to stash the symbols that were made and hammers and you know tools. Yeah, so there was so like hand
1: making symbols totally in that little house, and and
0: and so the the drummer um goes up to the his buddy who knows how to translate, and he said, "Okay, so the first thing I'm looking for is like a like a ride symbol that's like really dry." um And has I don't know if he wanted overtones or n- less overtones or whatever he he you know described it like with a fair amount of detail mm-hmm. and then that that American expatriate drummer says all that in Turkish to one of the guys he's like okay and so he goes <laughs> he goes over and and it's like it's like this he, he, I mean except there's not a it's just a symbol and there's a rack and he just goes like. This one, no, not that one. Like since he hand hammered them all, he's like, okay, not this one. Yeah, that's not. It didn't quite go there, or whatever. This one maybe, and then and then when he and when he thinks he's got the the mixture, he takes it out and he hands it to our drummer, and he puts it on the stand and he just hits hits it like, and he goes like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, or whatever. <laughs> and then he plays the other one, and it's basically the same, like you know, like as beautiful, maybe slightly different or whatever. And then he he and he does that a couple of times. Yeah, he does it with a, with a pair of hats, and he does it with I don't know if he got a kind of a more of a crash thing. I'm not quite sure, but you know, he just that's that's how it worked. And I just took the runners up. So like like the one he really liked, he's like here's the second one and i was like i'll take that one yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i got i i had bought a, a whole set of symbols i got i got the uh, hi-hats and i got ride a ride and a maybe two rides or a crash rider one was a crash i don't know whatever they are and i still have them and so wow. when and th- and shortly after this happened and when i put them all in a box in a different we went to in a naval base in turkey uh, Izmir, I think was the name of it. And I put all these into a cardboard box and shipped it by boat to my mom's house in North Dakota. And I wow. knew that was going to take months, but I wasn't going to be home for months. so Yeah, that, it know. didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, when I got off the road, I was like, symbols, here they are. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. But, but so, uh, yeah. Um, when I was telling this to John Holland back at Eastman, he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you, you went to turkey and bought cymbals yeah why did you do that <laughs> i said well um i you know sometimes live in remote locations where you know if you want to play music you should play a bunch of different instruments it's kind of how i was growing up growing up or at least you know function and i said also i was told these are some of the best cymbals in the world and this is the cheapest way to get them and yeah, so i'm gonna there. since i was there i was like i'm not gonna pass up that opportunity and and he, and he just like i can't I've, i have like you know i definitely confused him and so maybe yeah. he thought of me and remembered me because of that so yeah then, that's interesting so, it, yeah. so when we met again in fred hirsch's he and and i kind of said do you remember like and he's like you're not that guy and i said i am that guy <laughs> but i'm like Twenty years older and much fatter yes, than you remember. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was very skinny when I was a ray. He's like <laughs> But he finally he finally bought it. He finally bought it. And then I, you know, showed him the symbols of course and, and yep. you know, it's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Man, and so awesome. so yeah, I don't know if I'm sure that's not like necessarily why he, why he called me, but it was, I I would, I, I've always imagined that the reason people called me is they thought there's probably not going to be any drama. He's probably not going to ruin anything. Um, he'll definitely be listening and not probably saying anything, (laughs) 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 you know, um, you know, one, and, and, and one of the things like that I didn't say out loud once, which I hoped was an example of, so like, I don't know what it's like now, but At a certain point, people started having tuning devices in the pit. Yeah. Which, you know, can't blame them. They can be useful. Um, But when I went into sub one time on a book that was bass trombone and tuba, I was seated next to someone that played the baritone sax and, I don't know, maybe a couple more woodwind instruments, low wind, maybe. Um, Anyway... And when I saw the clipped on, uh, what's it called? The thing that tells you whether you're a tuner. Tuner, tuner. yeah. Clip, um, clip on tuners. Yeah, I, I started thinking to myself, is that for me or the person? <laughs> is that, is the person that's sitting next to me? Is that part of their vibe? Um, yeah. And I just kind of thought, like, now I'm starting to be a little bit nervous about, you know, music industry. A little bit. You know? like I just... Sure. I just, you know, like. Well, it's interesting, too, because, like,
1: <laughs> I, I know band directors who will, they'll go player to player. Yeah. And they'll show them a, on a tablet, mm-hmm. and they'll go, is it is it a smiley face? Is it a smiley face? And I'm like... We're not really teaching our students yeah. how to listen yeah. and copy sound, right. which is really what tuning should be about. <laughs> we're just look we're, we're teaching them how to like visually see that they're out of tune, which is doesn't help with yep. music, you know. I'm yeah, not... and,
0: and a big part of tuning is balance. Yeah. You can pretty much not tune if you're not balanced generally and yeah. Yeah, that's one one, one of my most fond memories was really like basic um ed hickus who used to be in um thad jones's band playing barry sax he he was one of those beautiful guys that just loved 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 playing and even when he wasn't really working when he was older and probably not like gigging all that often he would show up at the musicians union like big band all in whoever wants to play and you know whatever and um so i would do that too um Or maybe we were doing like the BMI composers workshop or something, you know, that wasn't no one was getting paid, but we were doing it because it sounded like it'd be fun. And and so I was playing bass trombone and I don't, you know, the bass trombone, I ended up playing it because everyone suggested I should play it. (laughs) (laughs) And and I and I didn't know I was going to like it. And I certainly didn't like it much at all at the beginning. But then as I got better at it, I, I liked it. okay, And I came to grips with it, you know. Um, but anyway, one day he's in the front row playing Barry, and I'm in behind him playing um, bass trombone. And we play this tune or a lick or chunk of music or something. And he turns around and he goes, he hit me, he hit me in the <laughs> slap my knee. And what he meant was, you know, like yeah. like like. like and, 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 um, without talking, I think he understood that what I was trying to do was get my sound inside of his sound and that it happened and he heard it.
1: Yeah. Cool. Really cool. It's a little like <laughs> how to, how to, how to be in a band in a nutshell right there.
0: Yeah. Like, and, and when, when, uh, Fred did his thing with the string quartet, um, what he wrote for the trombone part was kind of like pretty simple, which is beautiful. I've never been offended by any of that. Um, and so he would sometimes say, you know, could you play a little louder? And, and, and I, I don't know if I answered him or just tried to avoid answering him. Cause, cause what I wanted to do was I wanted to fold my sound into the cello. Mm. And, um, and maybe I said that to him. I'm not sure, uh, but I, you know, that's that's a a thing that's hard to even describe. You know, how yep. you can take any two instruments, and yeah. if if the balance is right, you get a completely different, unthought of sound that maybe no one's ever, ever even heard. You know. Yeah, that's cool. And and you can yeah. tell, you can feel it that that you know, like it's it's pretty amazing. All that yeah man
1: well hey i think that's a a nice place to put a bow on it appreciate you taking the time to tell me some stories man it's always awesome
0: thanks for having me it's been a pleasure
1: yeah cool awesome well that's it thank you so much for listening to my conversation with mike christensen if you're digging the podcast please like and subscribe and comment wherever you're listening if you could write a review of the show on something like apple podcast that really helps us out positive reviews helps it show up into other people's feeds which will help us grow and help us continue to get great and high profile guests We've got an app called Gig Boss that's an organizational tool for freelance musicians and band leaders. You can create groups, you can create events, and you can track all the details. There's lots of awesome features being added every month, and it's getting a little prettier, too, which is exciting. So check that out. It's totally free on iOS and Android. There's a download link in the description. We've got a Spotify playlist of all the artists who've been on the show, so you can listen to their music. And there's a Gig Boss Facebook page where we sort of digest the episodes. We talk about music industry-related and artistry-related things. I post outlandish stuff to spark conversations. It's great. Head over there and check that out as well. Thanks for listening. Appreciate you.